Let me read for the sake of context the passage we've been in for the last couple weeks and will be in for a couple weeks to come. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In our society, fathers are often absent in the work of parenting. As we talk about Mother's Day and we think about, and even Daniel and many in our society, as uh, one of his children would proclaim, because mothers are more important, right? Because mothers are, are necessary. Mothers need to be there. As we think about these things, it's easy for us to see because in our society, mothers often carry the full burden of parenting. Uh, not just single moms, but moms who are married, moms who don't just have a baby daddy, but have a husband. Many of those men assume to think that their calling is just to be a husband, not a husband and a father. Uh, So they view their wife as mother, they view themselves as husband, and they hope that their wife will accomplish their goals with their children. But the Word of God is not so. It does not put the burden of parenting and the burden of family on mothers and mothers only. It puts it on mothers and fathers. In God's design, he did not design women to be mothers and men to be husbands alone, uh, but husbands to be fathers. Many of us as a society miss the truth proclaimed that Daniel read for us in Psalm 127, that children are a heritage from the Lord and they are a reward and they are a blessing in life, that it is a good and gracious gift of God. And doing such, we despise the idea of motherhood and fatherhood. There's many in our society who would like to destroy uh, the institution of the family, that they would like to completely remove the necessity of mother and father and just have children identified by the whims and the wants of society. Now, I know you're familiar with that. It's very well known in our time that there are organizations and political groups and all kinds of people who think that the idea of the family is archaic and needs to be let go. In reality, the idea of the family cannot be let go. No matter how hard we try to change things, no matter how hard our resistance and rebellion against God, families will always come from mother and father. The necessary elements to have children are found in God's design and creation of male and female. And it will take male and female to produce a child. No matter the twisted ways man seeks to do it otherwise, it will never be accomplished without male and female. But in Christ, it is not just females and not just males that are exalted to be praised. It is Christ who is to be exalted. And it is why we see in many places in Scripture that there is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer Scythian or barbarian. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer male or female because all are one in Christ. Genders have not ceased. Ethnicities have not ceased. Social statuses have not ceased. But what has happened is they have all been united in the church in Christ that he would be exalted. All of those things become secondary. Not non-existent, but secondary. How do we know that these things remain as necessary? Because the word of God continues to proclaim by necessity commands to specific genders, 
and specific roles of those genders. One being fathers. We see that in the passage this morning. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you look at your handout with me, first and foremost, fatherhood is a blessing and a responsibility. Fathers are given here both the blessing of parenting and the responsibility of parenting. We're, we're going to look at that responsibility and that it is given both positive and negative forms as instruction to men who are fathers. But I want you to notice first the wording here, fathers. Fathers are commanded. And father historically and forever will mean a male who has participated with a female in an act of reproduction to create a child. And now he is a father, right? And so fathers here, those who have children, uh, have been commanded very specifically about how they are intended to live. I want you to notice a few things in the context of this, though. Look at verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents. The Greek word means parents. It means mother and father. It's both units of that creation, mother and father. Then it says, honor your father, a Greek word meaning father, and honor your mother, a Greek word that means mother. It's a great translation. The words mean exactly what we've written them in English. When it comes to verse 4, I want you to notice that Paul, as he is writing this under the divine inspiration of the Spirit, with all of these words available to him in verses 1 and 2, parents, father, mother. He could have used any of these words. As Paul is thinking, who do I need to instruct and command in the work of parenting? Who needs to be the one that is charged with the labor of parenting? Who's the one that needs to hear the truth? His first thought is father's. And while he could have said parents, he does not. And while he could have written mothers, he does not. Who does he charge with the leadership of the family? Who does he go to first to say you are responsible? As we spoke of in Ephesians chapter 5, men are called to lead and they are called to be responsible in that leadership. And we know that through all of Scripture, but we can see it clearly here as Paul has all of these words available to him. It's not a shortage of words. As he gives a command about parenting, his command is given to fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He gives the first command and that they are not to provoke. They are not to do this, but contrasting. They are to do this, bring them up. They are to bring them up or to feed them, to nourish them, to ensure their growth, to mature them, to participate in them moving from being children to being adults. It is the biblical description of parenting, discipleship, taking a child from childhood and nourishing them, cherishing them, encouraging them, feeding them so that they grow to maturity. And so biblically, husbands are rather fathers, which should be husbands, right? We hope uh, those fathers are commanded to bring their children up in the instruction of the Lord. What does this mean? Why take so much time to just recognize this little thing that fathers are commanded here? Because gentlemen, maybe you are guilty like many of us. When your wife leaves the house, you say, I got to be home. I got to babysit today. 
<laughs> you are not a babysitter. You're a father, right? If you need a babysitter, it's because neither of you are there. You don't babysit, you father. You're a father. This is not a secondary part of your life, unless you're talking about submission to Christ. And submission to Christ means this is a primary part of your life. You are a father. There is no backseat fathering. In our society, it is very common for men to say, you know, I just kind of let her do what she wants in that department because that's her department. No, God is saying, you misread the department signs. Let me be clear to you. This is your department. Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children are not like all the cute little multi-breed dogs, right? Those were created for women. Those were created for women to take, to care for. Uh, they are not dogs. They are like gerbils and cats mixed together to be put in purses and carried around. God created and allowed dominion for those creations to be made for women. If you want a little multi-poo or a chihuahua poo or whatever kind of poo you want to buy, that's fine. Husbands, you have no command to be involved in the leadership of that little poo. Here, though... Here, though, you have a command. This is yours. This isn't something just cute made for your wife. This God describes as an arrow in your quiver. This is what you are commanded to hold and maintain and prepare for war. This is not a cute little possession of your wife that she can hold to and long to and that you can go, I can't wait till I get her back when these little things are gone. This is a possession of God entrusted to you to prepare for war, to lead and to love, to instruct and to have compassion on, to give life in such a way that they grow and are nourished and strong in Christ. Children are a heritage. They are a blessing from God. They are a reward. They belong to him and they are under the care of both mothers and fathers. And fathers, you are charged to care for them well. You are not to care for them in the flesh, but to feed them by faith. The second point in your handout, fathers, walk in a manner worthy, not to frustrate in the flesh, but to feed by faith. If you look at this simple verse in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not live to make them angry. Do not be one who stirs anger in them. And we're going to talk about ways you might do that. And the negative command is, do not be this type of man. It is vague enough to include much, and it is specific enough to be clear, this is about your person. This is about who you are. You are not to be a person that lives to provoke your children. You are not to function regularly to be one that causes your children to be led toward anger or frustration. Colossians says it similar, but it says to exasperate them. They're not to be under your care to the point that they are angry in such a way that they rebel. Or they are exasperated in such a way that they are crushed. You are rather to bring them up or to feed them to nourish them, to care for them, to mature them. And you know the blessing of this. It is a great blessing to be one who gets to see your children joy, have joy in the Lord. Right? 
John writes in the book of uh, 1 John, he says, It is a joy to me to see my children walking in the Lord, speaking of the church. And fathers, I hope, I know, I am thankful by God's grace that you enjoy that same joy. I hear you when you say it, when you have done the tools that we'll talk about in coming weeks of discipline and instruction, and your child responds in the way you had hoped and desired. I see it on your face. I know when you tell me, I'm so thankful that this came about. I'm so thankful that they're communicating in this way. I'm so thankful that they appear to be pursuing Christ, that they love Christ, that they are after Christ. I'm so thankful, many in our church, that they have grown to be men who love and seek and honor Christ. So thankful that there are little girls who think about the truth of Christ and want to discuss and work through the reality of Christ and have grown to be women who love and honor Christ. There's great joy in parenting. And so the labor to feed them, to nourish them, comes with benefit. But if we are those who are commanded to feed them, not to babysit them, but to bring them up, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, I want to talk first and foremost about the attitude in which you do so. As you seek to father, you father not first and foremost for your own pleasure, for your own desire, for your own glory. What does the passage say? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you are to bring them up, not in your discipline and instruction, not in what you think is best for them, not in what you desire for them. You're not trying to create little images of yourself, right? You're not trying to live out your dreams and fantasies through your children. They are naturally going to be inclined to the things you are inclined to. They are naturally going to want to do the things you want to do. And they might naturally hate them at some point because you did them. But that's not your burden. Your burden is not to make them love what you love. Unless in speaking in such a way you mean you love Christ. The command here is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if you long to fulfill the biblical commands, you must first and foremost, before you move to the practical of discipline and instruction that we will next week in the following, you need to root yourself not in discipline and instruction just practically, but that that is rooted in who? Christ. This is not about your ideas and your desires. This is about what Christ has commanded. So if you are going to father, if you are going to bring them up in the Lord, you must do so not in a character that provokes anger, but in a character that is of Christ. And this is the point of the entire book of Ephesians. As you look at the book of Ephesians, you see on your handout, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, it's a, a little bit down under, uh, therefore walk in a manner worthy. Therefore, walk in good works as a father, the calling to which he has called you. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so, fathers, if you're to walk in a manner worthy, if you are to walk in such a way that is of the Lord, first and foremost, you need to know Christ. First and foremost, you need to put your hope in Christ. And maybe you find yourself frustrated because fathering and fatherhood is not all you had desired it to be. Maybe you think and you imagined that you would have had a child that would do the things you wanted to do. Maybe you thought you were going to get a little image of yourself 
that would always glorify and praise you. And you have found instead, you, you got something that kind of looked like a purple alien that came out crying, and, and Pierce hasn't stopped since. And you find yourself frustrated and annoyed and angry, and you are pressed. You don't know what to do. You feel burdened. The reality is God has put in providence every situation around you for your sanctification. If you are a believer, every situation in your life is for your sanctification. Those situations that press you, press you for one of two reasons. They press you to clarify where you need to be sanctified, where you need to repent of, where you need to place your hope. Because in that moment, that pressing, as you're pressed like a lemon, lemon juice comes out, right? So you take a lemon and you press it, what do you get? Lemon juice. If you're going to have a taco and you're going to get a little lime, you're going to squeeze it over the top. If you squeeze that lime and something besides lime comes out, you're going to be annoyed and frustrated. Lime belongs on a taco. That's what should be there. What are you going to do? You're going to repent of whatever is in your hand and throw it aside. And by faith, you're going to get a lime and believe that that lime will give you the juice you intended. That's your life. You're a little lime above a taco. And Christ has put all of those situations above you for what purpose? That when you're squeezed, what comes out might reveal who you are. Christian, you might believe that the situations around you cause the frustration, the anger, the malice, the envy, the jealousy, the wrath, the provoking that you do. But in reality, the situations around you are only pressing you to reveal one of two things again. First, sin. They're giving you opportunity to repent. It is God slowly squeezing you to reveal. These are areas of your life that remain. This is where things in your life still need to be changed. And so when you lash out, you see there is something that needs to be changed. There is something I'm worshiping that's driving me to sin rather than Christ. Or you find yourself in similar situations to you've been in in previous life. Not a previous life, but this life previously. There's only one life. And you find yourself responding in a different way, a way that is not natural to you, a way that you once did not. And you trust that God has accomplished by faith that work in you. Your life as a father and as a Christian is always in repentance and faith. You are looking at the situations in which God has placed you. And as you are pressed, you are seeing what is the natural response here. And am I responding not naturally in a sinful way? Or am I responding supernaturally in a God-given grace way? And to respond to that in either faith or repentance. In thanksgiving that he has accomplished this or repentance that you would turn away from it. And how do you do so? It's because Christ has loved you in a way you can't imagine. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 on your handout. The book starts in the calling of Christ, and it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him who, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. The truth here is that in Christ, because of Christ, 
God has chosen, if you are Christ, before the foundation, before anything happened, he chose you to be blameless and holy before him. He decided in his plan, predetermined before you ever existed, before he ever spoke and let there be light or creation or anything else, that you would be his, called as his, his child, to display his glory. And he did so that you would live in blamelessness and holiness, that you should be holy and blameless before him in love. This is a humbling truth. This is a very humbling truth. Because you might hear that and you go, that makes sense to me. Of course he wanted me. Of course he chose me. I'm pretty awesome. Lots of people like me. I've got a million friends on Facebook. Right? My wife chose me because I'm better than other men. My husband chose me because I'm better than other women. My children love me. Everybody loves me. I'm a really great guy. The word of God loves you enough to clarify to be clear, that you would not be confused. As I said, he chose you in Christ. Notice he didn't say he chose you because you are holy and blameless. He said he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world that you would be holy and blameless. And then he goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 to clarify in case you are confused about your calling, why you were called. In Ephesians chapter 2, he chose you in Christ to be holy and blameless and you were chosen in mercy and love. By grace, through faith, to walk in his workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The word, of, the word of God does not deny that all creation, all, all people are in a sense his children. They are his creations. God is father over them. Um, but all of humanity is classified in two parts. There are those who are children of wrath and there are those who are children of grace or mercy. But all children, look here, all mankind, like the rest of mankind, like all of mankind, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You once walked contrary to Christ. You once walked in rebellion, or as Scripture describes it here, uh, referencing from the Old Testament, the prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It is Satan who has rebelled against God and is now at work in all children of man who live in disobedience before God. And these two categories, remember, are not broken up by those who are holy and blameless and those who are disobedient and dead in sin. This category is divided by the grace of God, not the works of man. Because you are included in the first category. All people exist in rebellion, dead in their sins. They once walked, if you are in Christ, it is past tense for you. You once walked following the course of the world, but now you are Christ's. Look at verse 4. Why were you chosen in him? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Notice how many times as Paul proclaims the reality of God's grace, that but God, who is rich in mercy, has loved us. He clarifies where that love is rooted. It is in him. He says, loved us when? Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ, pausing by grace, not deserved, given to you, yours at a cost, and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show his action, showing us the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness toward us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, clarifying, and this is not your own doing. You didn't do this. It is not of works. Why? So that no one will boast. We are Christ's. And what are you Christ's for? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are unworthy to be blessed, but you are blessed. You are not worthy for good works, but God has forgiven your works and has prepared for you good works. Notice the fatherhood and the love of God. What are the conditions of his love? They're all rooted in him. It's not you. It's not something you did. It's not something you accomplished. It wasn't that you were cute and cuddly. He didn't look down and say, what a precious, precious treasure that I want to hold. He looked down and he saw, as he knew he would, rebellion, that you walked according to the course of the world, that you were a child of wrath like the rest of mankind, that you followed after Satan, not after God, but God because of the great love with which he loved us, but God who is rich in mercy, who is a God who looks down and sees what you deserve and does what? withholds and gives grace. He does not give you what you deserve. He does not fulfill his wrath on you. But what does he do? He intentionally plans and purposed that you would no longer look like the world, dead in your sins and trespasses, but you would be transformed by the work and the grace of Christ to be reformed into something new, a new creation to the glory of Christ. And that you now are Christ's recreation. You are born again as his child. And all of your life now, whether it be that of rebellion or that of dependence by faith, you live under the grace of Christ. And he organizes all things in your life that they would press you in such a way that you would look more like Christ. It is not by chance that God often refers to himself as father because he loves you as a father. He loves you not based upon what is in you, not based upon what you have done. He loves you intentionally and purposely that you might live to glorify the God over all creation. He is not responsive to what you have done in such a way that he chooses whether or not to love you. He is responsive to what Christ has done, what he has planned, and always loves you in discipline and instruction. 
purposed that you might know and hear the word of God. And that when your life presses you and sin comes out, you might have clarity. I must repent. And when you are pressed and faith and good works come out, you might have clarity. You are Christ's workmanship. He has done this in you. He has accomplished it. Give him praise. If you are going to be a father who does so in the Lord, you must first be a father who is in the Lord. You must be one who roots your fatherhood and your fathering, not in your own desires, not in what you have seen other men do, first and foremost, but the love of your father in heaven, who is intentional, who loved you for his purposes, who loved you not as a result of what you did or didn't do, but in every situation responds that you might see his grace and his mercy, his clarity, his justice, and that by faith you would fully put your hope in Christ. That is an overwhelming work. That is much harder than getting your kid to like baseball or wrestling or animal husbandry. That is a lot more difficult than having a child and a son who someday will become a marine or a doctor or a dentist. Or a daughter who maybe you want to become all of those things or a faithful mother and wife. This is much more difficult. This is a work that often seems unbearable. This is a work that does press you in a way nothing else presses you. To be a father is more pressing and more difficult than any of your other relationships. It presses you deeply. And identify yourself as a man or a woman. Well, you should identify. (laughs) So weird. You are either a man or woman. And when you live as a man or woman, when you are Christ's, you must recognize the reality that you exist for him. And when you find yourself in shallow situations that don't feel too pressing, or in relationships that aren't that intimate, let me be clear. When you find yourself in work relationships, or friend relationships, or neighbors, or even other church members, Those relationships are more shallow than your immediate family. Those people do not see you day in, day out, in your most vulnerable. They do not see you all of the time. I'm talking about work and friends and church. Who sees you day in and day out is your family. It is your children. You will be more deeply pressed in the intimacy of family And so do not define yourself and who you are by those shallow relationships where you can go, yeah, maybe this is really hard at home and this is really difficult at home, but that's not who I am. I'm not that guy. They just lead me to that. It's just because who they are. It's because what they're doing. When I'm at work, I'm really nice to everybody. It's just, it's their fault. Don't live in the lie that it's not my fault with my friends and and with other people. I'm really good, but it's my parents. They make me do this. No, you don't understand when I'm with other women and I'm at work or I'm teaching and I'm doing all of these things, it's great, but it's my husband who makes me live this way. No, God has given you the most intimate of relationships that you might not be confused about who you are. The deepness of relationships reveals to you the deepness of the work of God and the depths of sin within your heart. Family is nuclear and essential for society, but it is also nuclear and essential for you in sanctification. 
And so if you are pressing to live how God has glorified you, fatherhood and motherhood, husbanding and wifing, being a member of a church, the more intimate relationships of your life will help you clarify how do I pursue to love Christ. So fathers, if you want to know what kind of man you are, are you a man who provokes anger or are you a man who walks in the ways of the Lord? Your children will help you identify that. Their response is how they live. You might believe things about yourself because of shallow relationships in the world where you can keep up a good face and you can do things. But your home, your family will reveal to you the man you really are. When you respond in the depths of the ugliness of sin at home, the reality is it's because you can't restrain it forever. And it is in your heart. And God allows it to be revealed somewhere where you have intimate relationships that are close, that won't easily be destroyed by that. And you can have clarity to be sanctified, not to live shallowly, but live deeply. Therefore, you walk in a manner worthy. How do you do so? You do so by resting fully dependent upon Christ and seeking to live to glorify him. Your character matters. It's not just the actions. Again, we are going to get to the practical actions of discipline and instruction. But your character matters more so. Why are you trying to accomplish discipline in your children? And what instruction matters to you? First and foremost, your character must be rooted in Christ. So you must know that he is your father and that you are Christ's. And therefore, because of that, you must walk worthy as a father in the calling which he has called you. If you have children, he's called you to be a father. Verse uh, 1 of Ephesians chapter 4 on your handout. Therefore, walk in good works as a father in the calling which he has called you. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice, you are called and commanded to live under the grace of Christ. As excited as you are about children, obey your parents, for this is right. You should be just as excited as Christians, if you love Christ, how do you display your love of Christ? You obey my commandments. You live in what he has called you to. And if you believe that Christ has called you, you live in Christ because what he has accomplished, then his commands to you are this is the appropriate way to walk. In all of your life, and that does not exclude the most intimate places of your life, for men, fatherhood, husbandry, and church. And for ladies, motherhood, wifedom, and church. These are places Christians are called to be intimately involved in such a way that, that Christ is revealed through them. And that when sin is revealed, they live in repentance and faith. So therefore, you walk in humility, gentleness, patience. You bear with one another. You bear with others in love. You are willing to carry the burdens of frustration for the sake of love. And you live in the unity of the peace of the Spirit. You live in, sorry, in the unity of the Spirit bound by the peace of the gospel. So as you find yourself parenting, as you find yourself functioning, are you a man who is humble? Are you a man who is gentle? Are you a man who is patient? Are you a man who bears with your children in love? Are you a man who seeks unity in your house because of the Spirit of God? and stirs peace in your house because of the grace of the gospel. This is true for all Christians, but I'm saying if you're called to walk in a manner worthy, 
We don't jump to the specific and go, look, I just got to be a good dad. How do you know to be a dad in the character of Christ? You listen to the commands. It is to be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. You father in the power of Christ through faith and repentance. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Speaking of the sinful ways of man. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And this morning you have heard of Christ and you were taught about the truth in Christ. That you, have, you must be called by him. You must live in Christ by faith and repentance. And so what do you do if you've responded to the truth of the gospel? Verse 22. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirits of your mind. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What do you do, Christian? If you love Christ, you learn of Christ and you live so in mind and heart. You, you take your actions and your affections and you put them under the category or in the arena of Christ. And you say, this is how I'm called to live. You hear the instructions of God. So you live then putting off the old self. You put to death your former manner of life which was corrupt through deceitful desires. So when we're here, I address this as, as all Christians. What are the deceitful desires of believers, or of non-believers rather, the deceitful desires of sin that you might find yourself given to that were once your life and are no longer? I, I want to give you deceitful desires you might believe as a father that these might accomplish your will. Rather, put those things away. Forget about what you've seen of fathering. And listen to Christ. Fathers, do you believe that criticism rather than optimistic hope is what is going to fix your children? Do you believe that being critical of them and finding everything and every problem in them rather than declaring to them your love and your plans and your purposes, Christ's grace, being clear with them about sin, but not living as a critic over them, but as a comfort in the battle against sin? Are you overly strict you say, do as I do, not as I say. You are inconsistent. You lack self-control. Do you not apply what God has said, what Jesus says in Luke 12 to the Pharisees? He rebukes them and he says, Pharisees, you put many burdens on people and you do not lift a finger to take them off. You don't help them at all. You just proclaim the burden upon them. You just talk to them about their sin and their failure and their unrighteousness. And you do nothing to help them, to encourage them. Jesus rebukes the self-righteous arrogance of the Pharisees who have found some sort of godliness in a self-righteous way and then look at others and only proclaim that they are holy, the Pharisees, and these people have the problem. How could the Pharisees do that? They were overwhelmed and self-righteous and arrogant, right? Pharisees looked at the world and they said, how could they? Why would you? Who does that? You're such an evil people. Praise God, we never speak to our children in words like, how could you? Or why would you? Or who does that? Or maybe you do. Maybe like the Pharisees, you need to be humbled in knowing that you have just put many burdens and you don't lift a finger to humble yourself in compassion to say, this is how we lift those burdens off in Christ. How do you exasperate or crush your children? What are the deceitful desires? Irritability. 
You see your children as something that should be reflecting your image all the time. You think they shouldn't need instruction and discipline. I've given it to them. You forget the grace of God to repeat the same things to you over and over again, to record them that you might know them. And you're irritable with your children. Childishness is expected. And you have the assignment not to be shocked and irritable, but to be humble and clear and compassionate. Inconsistency. To just live by the desires of the moment. To father only upon the current moment that you feel. So when you're frustrated and you feel like your children never behave, you lash out in discipline. You're angry and frustrated and you're going to bring down the wrath of dad. Or you feel like things are going good and and you want to make sure everything's great. So you're going to shower with gifts. You're going to bring every pleasure. You're going to be the fun dad. It's donuts and ice cream and archery for everybody. Let's do this. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm saying you need to be consistent. Don't be a tear in one moment and try to be a treasure in another. Be faithful in Christ. How do you do so? You father in the redemption of Christ with Christ-like words. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. You father in the redemption of Christ with Christ-like words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Notice what he says here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Hold your tongue. Use your tongue for what? That which is uplifting, that which fits the occasion, that which gives grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Spirit of God. How would you grieve the Spirit of God? You would open your mouth and let what is in your heart, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, come out. You don't control your mouth. You don't deal with things at the heart level. You just let them fly out of your mouth. And Jesus says the mouth is an instrument that displays the heart. If you find yourself as a father or a human constantly lashing out in bitterness and slander and anger and frustration, you first need to shut your mouth. You need to repent. You need to close your mouth and stop speaking things that are expressing a sinful heart. You need to be quiet. Because what is happening to you is that what is being pressed out of you is bitterness and wrath and anger and slander. And your heart is being revealed. Now, Christian, that's great. It's been revealed, okay? What is in your heart has been revealed. It doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. If you keep doing it and you say things like, well, I'm Italian, right? I I feel like everybody says this. Well, I'm Italian. I'm Mexican. I'm Hispanic. I was born in Menifee. I live in Hemet. We have all the excuses for why we're angry people. (laughs) Why, Why do we speak harshly? Because of your heart. You've had enough life. No longer live as the Gentiles do, just letting that be pressed out. But first and foremost, quiet yourself and deal with your heart. How do you do so? Well, he goes on in grace in Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
You might, you might think, what does that have to do? Well, if you notice, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, looking at what does it mean to live your walk as called as Christ. And so you do so with character of a Christian, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. You do so in the power of Christ by faith and repentance, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. You do so thinking first about what you speak as it reveals your heart, Ephesians 29 through 32. And you look carefully at your life, and you apply the knowledge of God being wise. You look carefully how you walk, not as an unwise person, but as a wise person, using your time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what he has called you to. And then you see this next verse. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So you could hear that, and you could immediately just say, okay, I just can't get drunk. That is true. That is commanded. But he gives purpose for that. Why? What does drunkenness cause? Debauchery. What, what is debauchery? You don't use that word often, I assume. Maybe you do. Maybe you're that cool. Uh, but what debauchery means is recklessness, abandonment, doing whatever you desire at the time. And God gives grace in revealing this because what alcohol does generally is also reveals the heart. It frees the lips. It takes away inhibitions. And now you're free to do what? You think whatever you want. And it destroys you. You have no self-control. You are reckless. He says, do not live in drunkenness, in debauchery, recklessly, with no purpose, no plan, no understanding, no wisdom, no knowledge of the, the will of God. Foolishly. But what are you to do? You are to be filled with the Spirit. You're not to live recklessly. You're to live purposely. You're to live faithfully. You're to live by the Spirit. And often in our time, that thought is, okay, I live by the Spirit. That means I live by the current emotions of the moment. But God has not been uh, so lax with us. He's been very clear. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? Look on your handout, Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What does he say? The same phrases, let us not live as those who provoke. Let us not live as those who cause disunity. Let us not live as those who frustrate and cause anger in people. How are we to live by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be filled not with the reckless abandonment of the moment, but with the will and the knowledge of God, to pursue to do that? You are to bring up or to feed your children in the Lord, and you must do so first and foremost by living in the character of Christ, under the commands of Christ, aware and in full knowledge of who you are without Christ and what he is doing by faith and repentance, being serious about your words. So you're serious about your heart, looking carefully at your life and placing all of that before God, that you can understand what the will of the Lord is so that you can be faithful for what? The good works, which he prepared beforehand, that you would walk in them. Men, if you are a father, fatherhood is one of those works. You have specific commands about this work and how you are to do it. Fathers, you are not to provoke your children to wrath, but you are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
I don't know where you come from this morning. You might feel that is easy for you to say, Bible man. Easy for you to say because you study the Bible all week. You spend your time there. I don't know if it's any easier to say that. I think God is gracious as you're preparing to preach on things. He keeps pressing you and pressing you and pressing you in those things. And I have five little arrows, number six on the way, fully quivered up, wanting to live in the grace of God and constantly aware, I can't do this on my own. I need his help. I need to live in his grace. So this morning, I intentionally and purposefully made the handout that if you were new with us and you feel like, I don't know my whole Bible like some of these guys. I don't live in this. I can't be a dad who does all of this. I didn't go a whole bunch of places. I spent where we've been the last year and a half, Ephesians. And from Ephesians, I've sought to show you the grace of God in the gospel, what he's accomplished in you, why he has accomplished it in you, and what he is doing. Don't feel overwhelmed that you have to know your whole Bible right now. If you feel like fatherhood is overwhelming and you want to do it for the glory of Christ, go to Ephesians right now. Go to your handout. Live there. Talk with other men. Be vulnerable. Be real. Let your mouth speak in faith and repentance. You know what has been pressed out of you lately. Jesus says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Live by repentance and faith. As you are striving to do that as fathers, and I know many of you are, I want to encourage you, if you come to that task and you feel overwhelmed, there's a church full of men who long to come alongside you as we all seek to do it in dependence on Christ. And there is a letter written to Ephesus that we have spent over a year pouring through that we might know Christ. Don't have to figure out your whole Bible today. Just turn to where we've been and rest and trust in Christ. Let me pray that God would be so faithful to do more than we could accomplish uh, through a sermon. Uh, more than we could accomplish through gathering together and and singing praise to him. Uh, Things we can't accomplish, but he can. Let me pray that God would show grace to us as we seek to live in faith and repentance because what Christ has done. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. We thank you, Father, that you in providence over all things always accomplish your plans. We thank you we can trust you uh, by grace to live dependent upon you. I pray, Father, you would give grace to us as we seek to honor you in all we do, as mothers and fathers, as children, as husbands and wives, as workers, as Americans, as Menifeites, as people who long and love you and want to display that in any relationship you have given us. I pray you would do this for your name and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.